be talking today about the voice of God and knowing the will of God. This is an incredibly important topic for us to have a good handle on as God's people. The voice of God is sometimes like thunder. They said that, that, that God spoke and, and it was so loud, it was like thunder. Another time when God spoke, it was a gentle whisper to Elijah. The voice of God can come from a cloud, a burning bush, and a dream. It can be tremendously comforting at times. For Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, for God to speak to them and say, I am with you, I'll be with you, and your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. They're going to be like the sand and the seashore. Tremendous comfort. The voice of God can be disturbing. It can disturb your life. When God appeared to Moses and said, I need you to go back to Egypt. That is not exactly what he wanted to hear. It disturbed his life. The voice of God can be life-changing. To the teenage Mary, hearing the voice of God say, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and you will give birth to the Son of God. That must have been pretty shocking and life-changing. Surely for Noah to hear that the world has become corrupt and evil, and it must be destroyed. And you are to build an ark, a huge vessel that will take you years and years to build. And you will put in that your family and the animals of the earth and the entire creation will start over again with you and your family and those animals. What a life changer that must have been. Let's read in Mark 9 here and we'll see the voice of God in this context. Beginning in verse 2. It says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them into a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, I love verse 6. It's in parentheses there. It's just giving us a little inside information. It says, he did not know what to say. They were so frightened. That's what Mark sort of interjects in there. Then a crowd appeared and enveloped them. And a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. You know, the voice of God is something that we should want to hear in our life. We should have a feeling in our bones that we want God to lead us. We actually should feel that as we live our life that God is leading us. 
And that God is speaking to us in the way that we live our life. We should want that guidance. We should want to hear it. But the question comes, how? How do you hear the voice of God? I'm going to suggest three different ways here. One is going to be a very reliable. One is going to be not so reliable. And one is going to be not a good idea at all. Look in your uh, Old Testament to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the uh, longest chapter in all the Bible. And it's uh, about the Bible. How do you like that? In Psalm 119 verse 9. It says, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Okay, how can you live the kind of life that God would want you to live? By living according to the word. Look over to uh, verse 105. You know, there's not many uh, chapters in the Bible. You can talk about verse 105, but you can in Psalm 119. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. The Word of God can give us the will of God. We can hear the voice of God through the Scriptures. Look over to 2 Timothy, a passage you know what? well. 2 Timothy chapter 3. The Word of God can guide our life. We can know God's will because we can read it. We can absorb it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it's inspired of God. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Word of God is a very reliable source of knowing the will of God. The voice of God. When you read the Bible, when you hear the Bible, it can teach us how to live. It can, it can uh, you know, teaching, you have to have a, a student and a teacher if you're going to have education take place. The Word of God can teach us. So we should go to the Word of God with the mindset of a student. And I want to learn God's will. I want to learn how God wants me to live. It says that it will rebuke you sometimes. The Word of God will rebuke you. It, it'll, it'll hit you right up on the nose. It'll correct you. What has to be present for a correction to be in order? An error. <laughs> Have you ever had that feeling sometime in your life where you just, you just think about your life? You know, I, 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 sort, I sort of feel something's not right. Well, that may be a good feeling. That may be an accurate feeling in your life. And you, you know in your heart that you're not where you need to be in that particular case. But the Word of God can correct us and put us in the right uh, way of, of living our lives. So it's, it's useful in these ways for, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. You know, the Word of God is something you ought to be doing on a regular basis in your life. You ought to be reading God's Word every single day in your life. Every year I do this read through the Bible thing. And I got to tell you, got a report, it's February 1st here. I am on, I'm ready to go into Numbers chapter 6. So I've read through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I'll tell you, Leviticus is work. Now you got you to you you put your head down in Leviticus, man. You got to get through it. 
But, but I, I'm in the numbers now, and that, that's a little bit more inter- interesting as you go on through. But you know what? You ought to be reading God's Word every day uh, in your life. That is a very reliable way for God to speak to you. Now let's talk about a way that's not quite as reliable. That's getting good advice from godly people. Look over to Colossians chapter 3. Or Colossians 1. We'll get to Colossians 3 later. Colossians 1 verse 28. We proclaim him, admonishing or counseling and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. This is a good way to to get God's will, but it can be problematic. God actually wants us to counsel and teach each other. They have relationships with each other where we can learn from each other. And we do learn from each other. As a matter of fact, Jesus says, by this all men will know you're my disciples because of what? Because of your love for one another. So, so Christian people should have the kind of relationships with each other where they love each other and they admonish or counsel each other and they help each other know God's will or to live the right kind of life. But if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've been the benefactor of great advice. Anyone in this room been a Christian for any length of time, you have gotten advice from another Christian that's been very, very helpful for you, right? But if you've also been a Christian for any length of time, you've gotten some advice that wasn't very good advice. And, and uh, you realize that probably later. And, uh, you know, now you have to be careful about that because you can get bitter. You can say, well, hey, I got advice and it was bad advice. Well, be careful because if you also are honest with yourself, you probably have given some advice that in hindsight wasn't very good advice. You know what I'm saying? You know, when I was going to buy my home in, uh, in South Pasadena, I got advice from a lot of people. Tom McCurry one of them. Reese Neal one of them. And virtually everybody I talked to said, if you can put together enough money to buy that house, this was back in 1999, I, th- I think the year was, if you can do it, you should do it. And you know what? That was great advice. Because the value of that house from that time to what it is now has gone up a lot. And that's a wonderful thing because I'll have some money to retire, if you know what I'm saying. That's a great thing. But you know what? A few years later, a bunch of us got the idea, hey, we need to be making some investments and, uh, and uh, 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 you know, getting ready so we'll have some money for our retirement. And you know what? It's been knowledge for years and years that you should buy real estate in Florida. And I got advice from a lot of people. And everybody I talked to said, great idea. Invest that money in Florida real estate. (laughs) And you know what? (laughs) That was a total bomb. And I lost every nickel I put in it. Now, you know, it is interesting. I've, I've bought two houses in my life. One of them I look like I am brilliant. The other one I look like I'm stupid. I'm convinced that neither one is true. That's just me. But you know what? We can get the will of God, and many of us have gotten a lot of the will of God. And the voice of God speaks through brothers and sisters to us. But it's not as reliable as the Word of God. If you've got Scripture, it's, it's far more valuable than somebody's opinion. Right. So you've got the Scripture, 
You've got good counsel from godly people. And then you have what you feel in your heart. A lot of people want to know God's will by what they feel in their heart. Now they may feel something in their heart. But it might be indigestion. <laughs> you know, our feelings can be very deceptive. And our feelings can lead us in a lot of wrong directions if we're not careful. The truth of the matter is, the will of God is something that the Bible talks about a lot. And we need to take some time here and study this very, very important topic. Look over to Romans chapter 12. Got your Bibles with you? You need to you know, oil them up here. Come on, we're going to use them. Romans 12. Whether you have an electronic version or the God-ordained version of uh, paper. Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, did you get this? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. Let me read verse 2 again. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, stop living like people in the world live. You should be living differently. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This starts in your mind and, and refines itself then lived out in your life, in your body. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, a lot of times people say, well, I don't know God's will for my life. This says you need to start obeying the scriptures and you'll know God's will for your life. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Start doing what you know to be true. People say, well, I, I'm not sure. I, you know, I, I have a lot of questions. If you want to know God's will in your life, start obeying the obvious. Yes. Obey the obvious first. Then you'll be able to know God's will for your life. Let's look at this in a, in a practical way. Look over to a passage you know well. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, verse 33, this is Jesus teaching about priorities in life and how we live our life. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first, seek primarily. The most important priority in your life should be your spiritual life. So I, I, I don't know what God's will is for my life. Well, seek first. Seek primarily. What is your first priority? Is your first priority money? Is your first priority advancement? 
Is your first priority relationship? Is your first priority pleasure? Is your first priority? I mean, what's your first priority? Someone, something's got to be your first priority. What is the most important thing for you in life? This says, Jesus says, seek first. Seek primarily. Get this going first in your life. The kingdom of God. The righteousness of God. Living according to the rules and and, and precepts of God. And then all the other things that are important will be given to you anyway. You know, a lot of times the things we want in life are not the things that ultimately are going to be good for us anyway. You ever wanted something that wasn't good for you? So obey the obvious. Are you making decisions in your life that are based primarily upon promoting your spiritual life and your relationship with God? Now, you're all here at church today, and I appreciate that. But you know what? If you're in a, in, in a situation in life where your job is taking you away from the, your ability to worship with God's people, you've got to ask yourself, is it God's will that you, you have an occupation or a job that keeps you from ever being able to be with God's people? You say, well, I've got to have a job. Well, the good thing is there's more than one job in the world. And if you look around, you might be able to find one that, that, uh, that you say, well, I wouldn't make as much money. Oh, okay. It's money we're talking about. So money's the, the discussion. You see, sometimes you say, well, I just don't know God's will for my life. Obey the obvious. Do what you know to do, then you'll be able to know God's will as he develops that and goes a little further in your life. Let me show you this in another one. Look over to Colossians chapter 3. See, I told you we're going to get back to Colossians 3, right? So here we are. Colossians 3. Obey the obvious. Well, I just don't know how, you know, I can grow as a Christian. Okay, well, that's a good question. Let's obey the obvious. Colossians 3, verse 12. You guys with me? Up there in the balcony, you with me? Because you'll be falling asleep up there. (laughs) Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. I just don't know God's will for my life. Okay, well let's start with the obvious. Clothe yourself with compassion. Feel for people. That's what compassion is. Kindness. Humility. Clothe yourself with these things. Gentleness. Patience. Well, I want to know God's will for my life. Who am I going to marry? I want to know God's will for my life. How long am I going to live? I want to know God's will for my life. How much money am I going to make? Bear with each other. 
And forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. The indication is there is that from time to time in your life and my life, we're going to have what's called here a grievance. A grievance. We're going to think someone did us wrong. Now, whether they did or not is an interesting discussion. They may have or they may not have. But at least you think they did. If we had a show of hands here of how many of you at one time or another in your Christian life have had a grievance, we'd have a lot of hands go up. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Well, I want to know God's will for my life. Obey the obvious. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now forgive as the Lord in the same fashion, in the same kind of way that God forgives us. As I understand forgiveness from a divine point of view, that means that God, who knows all, still knows what we did. You follow my theological reasoning? That's good, isn't it? That ain't bad. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. If we've got stuff that we're not forgiving of other people, we're not forgiving the way the Lord forgave us. You got to let it go. Well, it's still in my mind. Got to let it go. Got to let it go. You got what we call an edge. Why the edge? And you ever met someone that has an edge? Man, I mean, you get near them, you feel like you're getting cut. You sort of give them a wide berth in, in fellowship, you know. If they're coming down the aisle, you go up the aisle on the other side of the church building. You understand what I'm saying? You know, it's, it's, it's a little edgy. You got to let it go. You got to obey the obvious. Okay, now let's go back to the study of the Lord of God. Look over to 1 Thessalonians 4. You guys with me here? Come on now. It's a good study of God's Word. You're going to learn something here you didn't know. You're going to like this, especially single people. Oh, single people are going to really like this one. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live. Now, I like that. Paul says, as a church leader, my, my primary goal is to teach you how to live. That's Reese's job. That's my job. That's Marcel's job. We're trying to do that. We're trying to teach you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. He says, hey, you're doing a pretty good job, and I commend you for that. Now, we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will. Okay, here's God's will. Here it is. It is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality. That easier you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Now look at the footnote C. If you have the New International Version. Down in the footnote, it says, learn to acquire a wife. (laughs) And you didn't think the Bible said anything about dating. Oh, it does in the footnotes. 
<laughs> you got to read the footnotes sometimes. In other words, this could be translated, instead of learning how to control your own body, it could be learn how to acquire a wife, not the way the world does. In a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust, like the heathen who do not know God. It is the will of God. Well, I want to know God's will for my life. This passage gives you very clearly what God's will is. Quit having sex before you're married. I want to know God's will for my life. That is God's will for your life. Now, whether you're ready to do God's will may be another discussion. But we move from the discussion of whether you want to know God's will as to whether you want to do God's will. See, a lot of people want to live in the theoretical of, I'm not sure what God's will is. Well, right here, you'd have to be a theologian to misunderstand this. This is clear what that passage is talking about. This is God's will for your life. Look over to James chapter 4. Another passage. There are a lot of passages on the will of God here. James 4. Verse 13, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow will do uh, this or go to that city or spend a a year there or carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. That's true. We don't even know what will happen this afternoon. We don't know who's going to win the ball game, do we? Right now, not a single person in this room knows who's going to win that ball game. Now, you may have who you think is going to win the ball game, and you may share, I'm sure that New England's going to win the ball game. No, you're not. <laughs> I'm sure Seattle's going to win the ball game. No, you're not. You may hope that's true, but you don't know it to be true. Now, we know the Bears are not going to win the ball game. <laughs> Who's going to win the Super Bowl? Not the Bears. And so the commercials are my interest today. You know, if you ever I'm saying. You don't even know what's going to happen. You know, a friend of mine, not a super close friend of mine, but a guy I knew in the ministry, Brad Bynum, uh, down in Florida. He's uh, just a little bit older than me. He's 60. I'm 59. Currently, he's a guy that's in pretty good shape in life. I, I didn't really keep up with his life that much. This last week, he went out on a run uh, on, on one of the evenings of the day, and uh, he dropped dead. Whoa. Guess the sermon last week was make a legacy for yourself. Whoa. You have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. And neither do I. And they didn't either. That's what James says. You have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, this is what you ought to say, instead of saying what you're going to do and what you're not going to do, here's what you ought to say. If it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, all such boasting is evil. They wanted to know God's will for their life. It's normal to want to know God's will for your life. Our attitude should be, I want to do God's will in my life. But I understand that there's a mystery 
about God's will that I'll never totally understand, particularly as it pertains to going forward in life. But I'm committed to doing God's will. Look at 1 Peter 2, since you're right there. Verse 15. For if it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Do you get that? Let's read that again. For if... For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. What's he talking about? Look up to verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing good or doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. Live such good lives among the pagans. You know, pagan is one of those words we feel a little uncomfortable with. It's basically saying the unbelievers. Living, live such a good life in the unbelieving world that you live in, that I live in, that they'll see something different in your life. And he says, it comes on down, he says, for it, for, it, for, for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the people around you. That's God's will, that you live a good life. Look a little further on. In chapter 3, verse 17. Now this is going to get a little rough here. I hope you got your seatbelt on. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. The suffering thing gets a little rich. Look over to chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ. You are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer. It should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal. Or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. Then skip on down to verse 19. So then, those who suffer according to God's will. Should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do what is good. See, for most of us, when good things happen in our life... When things happen in our life that we approve of, we say, God is taking care of my life. When things that happen in our life that we do not approve of, that we do not prefer, we say, where's God? This passage of Scripture says there are times in our life that we are going to suffer. That life is going to be hell. You say, I want to know God's will for my life. I suggest to you, you probably don't. I want to know what's going to happen in my life. I think you probably don't want to know. Because in some case, it's going to be more than you could take. There are people in this room that are suffering today. You've had things happen in your life that have been hard. To deal with. 
There's people in this room that are going to have things happen in your life that you don't want to know. And the suffering that you're going to have to endure in your life, you don't want to know right now. I suppose the worst thing that could possibly happen in most people's lives is to lose their spouse, is to lose their husband or their wife, their children. We have no idea what's going to happen in our life. And sometimes it's described as suffering. You say, why do I have to suffer like this? Because somehow in the mind of God, it has a purpose. And maybe the purpose is nothing more than for others to observe how you deal with the suffering in your life and you deal with it in such a godly and good way. And it prepares them for the time in their life when they will suffer and they remember back the example that they saw you live before them. Joseph in the Bible was sold into slavery by his brothers. Now I'm telling you, that's a family with some some real problems right there. I'm not sure I always appreciated my brother and sister, but wow, you sell them into slavery? That's pretty heavy. And Joseph's life went on down to Egypt and, and he's, he's, he spends time in jail in several different circumstances. He's a slave. His life was terrible. Now God kept blessing him, kept blessing him and kept giving him circumstances and situations where it seemed that you know, whatever he touched turned to gold and all of a sudden he ends up being the prime minister of the whole country. And lo and behold, now his brothers show up. And through the whole circumstance, and those of you who know the story, is quite a story. And they finally end up, and he says to them, I'm Joseph, your brother. And the whole world that they knew at that time was in a famine, and many people were going to die. And Joseph, it's like he has a light bulb moment. He says, I get it now. God sent me down here ahead of you. To save our family. You know, when someone says that they know God's will in real lifetime, run the other way. The best way to understand God's will is in the rear view mirror. Now, I understand. It's clear now why I had to go through that because that fixed, that set me up. I would have never been ready for this had that not happened if I hadn't gone through that. Now I understand. Church leaders are the absolute worst people in the world in this area. just come up with a plan and it's God's will says who really and next year we're going to have another plan and it's going to be God's will again the best thing to do is say hey 
we're going to try this and let's hope it's God's will. Amen. <laughs> and if it isn't, we'll change it next year. And we'll hope it's God's will next year. The early church struggled with this mightily. Look over to Acts 16. Acts 16. The early church struggled with this incredibly. Acts 16. We read the, the book of Acts sometimes. We think, oh man, this was awesome. Man, they're, just out, they're out there cranking and they knew exactly what they were going to do. They had no idea what they were going to do. Acts 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Well, that's interesting. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word of God in the province of Asia. What? Having been kept by the Holy Spirit. I wish we had more information there, Luke. Couldn't you give us a little more? They were kept by the Holy Spirit from, from going one direction. Oh, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter uh, Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. What? So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia. How did he know he's from Macedonia? Did he, did he have a hat that said, you know, a baseball hit Macedonia on it? Did he have the Macedonia football jersey on? Did he have a sign, welcome to Macedonia? Stan, maybe it was his, his accent. You know what? You can tell sometimes where someone's from by their accent, right? Yeah. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Wow, that's really clear, isn't it? The Holy Spirit wouldn't let us go there. What? Did they all get sick? They were all going to go and they all got sick? We don't know. Luke didn't give us all the info. We don't know all the issues. But they, they felt like, okay, we wanted to go here, but God wouldn't let us go. We tried to go there. God wouldn't let us go. Paul has a dream. Let's go to Macedonia. Amen. They cast lots to make decisions. They chose people. This says they chose them. Hey, you, 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 you. Winking, blinking, nod, come on. <laughs> they argued. They listened. They prayed. They decided. You know, sometimes, I'll give you these scriptures, we don't have time to learn to. James 5, 19, all right, the James, James, in Acts 5, uh, 15, 19, gosh, I'm all mebble mouth here. In 15, 19, they're having a whole debate about things, and it says, James says, well, according to, to me, this is what we should do, and that's what they did. James decided, amen. At another point, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem. I think it was a great comfort to the Christians. Look over to chapter 21. They had this saying, chapter 21. You guys with me? We're almost done here, winding this thing down. In, in verse 10, after we had been there for a number of days, the prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. So a prophet comes down from Judea. Pretty important guy, right? Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt and he tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. Wow, that's a pretty that's a pretty bad prophecy right there. 
Whoever wears this belt is in big trouble, and it's Paul's belt. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Hey, dude, don't go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And they're all like, Hey, we know you're committed. Come on. Just go somewhere else. Plenty of places to go. When he would not be dissuaded, apparently a pretty hard-headed guy, we gave up and we said, The Lord's will be done. The prophet says, if you go there, you're going to be in big trouble. The people hear this and say, well, don't go there then, Paul. We love you. Don't do that, man. Don't go there. You're going to get, it's going to be hard. Don't go there. Paul says, I am determined. I am going to Jerusalem. I'm ready to die in Jerusalem. He's a committed guy, you know. You ever heard someone say something like that? You're like, hey, don't do this. It's not a good idea. They're like, hey, I'm totally committed. Amen. (laughs) And they couldn't dissuade him. They said, well, Lord's will be done. I think there was a comfort in this. I think this is something that the New Testament church people said from time to time. They didn't understand what was going to happen. They said, Lord's will be done. You know what? Wouldn't it be good if we had that attitude in life? I'm not sure what's going to happen in my life. I'm not sure what's going to happen in my marriage. I'm not sure what's going to happen if I'm even going to get married. I'm, I, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to have money. I don't know if I'm going to be broke. I don't know if I'm going to live here or live there or go here or go there. But you know what? The Lord's will be done with me and with us. Now, what is the voice of God calling you to do today? It could be that God's voice is calling you saying, Come to me, all you weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus stands in front of us and says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Some of you are weary and burdened, and you need to come to Jesus. It's a come to Jesus call. He's waiting for you. You're weary and burdened? Come on. Come to me. That's the voice of God. It should be speaking to your heart right now. For some of you, maybe you need to really start, live, start living the life again of a Christian who's serious about living a Christian life. Not, not just, you know, every once in a while, Christian, but a Christian on an everyday basis in your life. That God's calling you, expects you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Maybe God's saying to you, you need to hang in there. Love the passage in Hebrews chapter 10 where it talks about what happened in people's lives in the past, and he says you need to remember it. Now, I hear a lot of people today say, oh, you, I, you know, I'm sick and tired of you talking about the good old days, of what you did in the good old days. When Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, it says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you stood your ground in the great contest in the face of suffering. This says you should actually remember the old days when you did things. Remember when you led people to Christ. Remember when you sacrificed because of your faith. Remember when you didn't think it was odd to come to church on Sunday and Wednesday. And you had a D group. And you want to get out and share your faith. And you need to help the brother or sister 
Remember those earlier days. Oh, I'm tired of hearing about your, your glory days. Now this says remember them. Don't live in the past, but don't forget the past either. Because those times in your life that were wonderful in the past should be great incentives for you to live your life now. That's what he's saying. But God is calling us. God is calling us in good times and in hard times. He's calling us in times of doubt. And he's calling us in times of confidence. We should be the type of people which have the courage which flows from conviction that can say, I want the Lord's will to be done in my life. I hope our study today has been helpful for you and hopefully we'll send you on a good way. I hope you have a super day and your team wins whatever team that is. God bless.